Hey, Analysis listeners. Welcome into today's conversation on our favorite Office episodes. When we recorded this, the conversation was so juicy and so jam-packed, we've decided to split it up over two episodes for your listening pleasure. So enjoy Chop 1 and come on back for the second part of our conversation and the next episode. Enjoy. People, please, I told you to get rid of the cell phones. It's my biofeedback machine. Oh, okay. What is that? Like a video game? It alerts me when my stress level goes up so I can try to calm down. You have stress? Yes. During our relaxation exercise? Welcome all! Welcome old friends. Welcome new podcast lovers and the disabled. Welcome all to a really special podcast today. I am joined by some special friends to talk about an incredible topic. First, let me welcome from Denver. He's a real spider face. It's Mike Hammond. What's up? What's happening? What's up? And alongside you there in Denver, a guy who has at times worn women's suits, it's Jordan Harris and is mysterious. Very mysterious. Hello, listeners, and thank you, because listeners say I'm the best podcaster. Oh, sure. I got the mug. That's the way you want it. You sent me the mug. always got the mug. You sent me the mug. You got the mug. (laughs) World's best podcaster. Correct. Yes. And, of course, joining us from Royal Oak. His thing isn't tiny, it's average, according to him. It's Colin Shea. Colin. Who's got two thumbs and loves an office podcast? This guy. Why are you the way that you are? (laughs) I hate so much about what you choose to be. Every time I try to do an awesome intro, you make it not that. Whoever's name is Bob, just grab a letter opener and stab yourself in the skull. <laughs> Colin, we have a very Toby Michael relationship, and we always have. And that's a great transition. Today, we are going to be doing a Mount Rushmore. So, for those of you guys not aware of what that means, we're going to be choosing our top four favorite office episodes. We're doing a Mount Rushmore of favorite office episodes. This podcast has only touched on the the whirlwind, which is The Office, one time, and that was on the Case for Steve Carell podcast. We, we allowed ourselves about 25 minutes on the topic, but our listeners said, guys, that's just not enough. So we're back here to talk today, and I'm really excited to just go along on the ride. I did not make a list. Uh, you guys are, are people who have revisited this show and have had way more countless rewatches, but... It was something that we all discovered in college together. We would watch it when it came out on Thursdays regularly. We would actually sit down and and watch it during its air date. I don't know if I've ever done that with a show, maybe Breaking Bad since then. But it was just the last time that I enjoyed a, a sitcom as it was coming out in real time. I know now it's actually the most popular show amongst college kids. It's very consumable, that the comedy still holds up. They're only 20-minute episodes. You can watch them in between class. But college kids are still discovering this the same way we did. But I want to turn it over to you guys. You guys were making your top four lists. Was this hard? Was this challenging? There's a billion episodes that you love. And I also want to kind of, as we roll through this out, how did you go about making the list? Did you go with quotability? Did you go with best bits? Did you go with story impact over the, the impact that that episode had over the course of the whole story? Or did you go with cold opens? Just want to kind of open up the discussion here. We'll start with you, Jordan. Yeah, it's uh, this was really hard uh, picking four episodes. I initially started my approach was just to, to jot down the first that came to mind and then maybe narrow it down from there. And I started off at like eighteen, just off the top of that. <laughs> and I, I got like, eighteen. Now I can get down to four. Okay. I got to cut this in quarter. All right, this is tough. So yeah, I tried to apply some kind of approach to how to select episodes and you look at it and you say like what are my favorite things about this show um and you know it's easy to say it's a mixture of comedy the comedy is fantastic and it has a lot of heart mixed into it um which is sort of obvious to anyone that's watching the show and then anyone that's listening to this podcast already knows how amazing the show is 
and how it hits you on those different levels. So I thought I might try to break it up into, you know, Michael moments, episodes that were heavy for Michael, Jim and Pam, uh, and their relationships. And uh, I started to narrow it down that way. And honestly, I think I sort of abandoned that logic towards the end and just sort of settled into four episodes that I thought were just really strong examples of all those things, but were also kind of spaced out amongst the seasons um, to kind of show that it's uh, the, the themes and the comedy and, and the heart all sort of stretches uh, the duration of the show, or at least the duration of the majority of the show. Really well put. I'll, I'll allow Mike to add into those thoughts right now. Yeah, I was similar. Same thing. Obviously, it was tough making a list of four. I think we've all watched this show all the way through, at least five, six seasons of it through a dozen times, probably more than that. A lot of times when we hang out, we'll just throw on famous episodes, right? The ones that we like the most. That's kind of where I started. So I decided to pick kind of three from a watchability standpoint that if I just had to watch, if I had 30 minutes and could throw on one office episode, what would I pick? So I did that. And then I, my last one was more of a story one. Like you said, Bob, there's, I think what makes The Office so great is it's really funny. There's a lot of these characters you kind of grow with and learn about, but there's a real dramatic undertone to the story that is like, makes it different than a standard comedy. And it's also like, I, very, very, um, I guess, real in a way, like the way that they do a lot of the dramatic elements of the show is really impactful. And so some of those episodes do matter. They are episodes I want to rewatch. And so that's why I picked the fourth one to go with that option. Yeah, they, the, obviously the documentary element adds to some of the realism, but it does hit you in a certain way. And, and I love Seinfeld and, and I definitely don't want to get into the comparison game, but the, the real life elements, especially now that I'm in corporate America or I'm just starting to experience some of the relationship things that these a lot of these characters were kind of going through, it, it, it gives you certain feels that, that put it on a, on a different level, right? Mm-hmm. Colin, what were your thoughts, bud? Echoing some similar sentiments here, but I mean, with to Jordan's point, it's overwhelming when you choose to sit down and say, I got to pick the four best office episodes. There's... 20 or 30 that you could pick easily so i just tried condensing them based on why i consider the office to be arguably the the best show ever made and i think it comes down a lot to humor but i mean anybody can be funny like any any show can be funny what set the show apart was the relationships that we cared about so much and the the raw um authentic moments of like true emotional drama that they that they create in such like a mundane atmosphere it's it, that's what separates the show so i was thinking i needed episodes that were funny i needed episodes that were relationship driven and had great cold opens because i mean that's important too and ones that had elements that I, I, that were funny that i maybe didn't catch the first time because honestly this was the first show and i don't know about you guys but this was like one of the first big comedies that i experienced that didn't have a laugh track and i appreciate it a hundred times more because of that because nothing annoys me more than being told when to laugh. And what's make what makes this show so funny is that you can go back and watch these same episodes over and over again, to Mike's point, and there's elements of that same episode that you've seen five times that you didn't notice the first time, and then you laugh at it. Like, recently... Well, uh, no, I don't want to spoil it. We'll get into it. Cause I'm sure we'll talk about that episode specifically. But, but yeah, the, you'll, you'll hear a Creed line out of left field. You're like, holy yeah. shit. Like, right, what the totally fuck? Went over your head before, <laughs> yeah, that right, you totally like, missed... Because you're you're in the chaos of the scene, and, and yeah. you know Creed or Stanley will come in, or 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 Daryl will come in with something. You're like, oh my god, that's my new favorite part of this episode. Absolutely, absolutely. And so we are going to do the desert island game, basically. To Mike's point, we are going to you're you're on a desert island. You get four episodes. Uh, what would you pick? And Colin, this is different than the who would you do game, which is something I know you play every night before you go to bed. So. Oh, man. The offense references. We are in rare form. We have, I've, I've had, like, sex references before we've gotten into yeah. the structure. It's like, so, welcome to our thrice weekly conversation about the office. We're just recording it this time. Right. It's, it's funny the, genera- the generational difference. Like, I always had to hear it from my dad that Seinfeld had an episode for everything. So no matter what mundane thing you were doing in regular regular life, he was like, there's a Seinfeld episode for that. It's like when Kramer called the movie or, phone. Yeah. 
But for us, like, I think that's the office. Like, literally three or four times a day, I'm like, that. there's an office episode that talks about that. Or there's an office joke about that. Like, mm-hmm. it's literally what defines our pop, our pop culture, like, foundation, I feel like. Yeah, and I live in Cubicle Farm, so, man, there's... Every ep- every character is is definitely represented in my in my center at least. But let's get into it. So the structure again: each one of these guys has picked their favorite four office episodes, and that is what a Mount Rushmore is. So let's transition, Jordan. I want to start with you. What is your first on the Mount Rushmore of favorite office apps? Yeah, I have them listed here, just kind of in chronological order as they came out. But my first episode is season two, episode twenty-two which is Casino Night. Ooh. Yeah, actually, episode written by Steve Carell, uh, which makes it wow. somewhat interesting. Yep. And uh, for any of the diehard Office fans out there that listen to the Office Ladies podcast, they recently covered this episode and uh, talked about that genesis of, of Steve Carell writing this episode and how he was initially really excited to do so and then kind of got cold feet and tried to back out of it. But Greg Daniels sort of talked him back into writing the episode. And um, the result that we get to see on screen, I think, is one of the absolutely fantastic episodes of this series. So, yeah. The Love Triangle. Yep. Yeah. Just like uh, this podcast, we got The Love Triangle with uh, 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 Michael Scott, Jan Levinson, Gould, and uh, Carol. and uh, Without the Gould. Without the Gould. And I'm going to drop a deuce on everybody. I'm going to drop a deuce on everybody. <laughs> we got uh, Lan Jevonson and Codename Remax. <laughs> well, Jordan, it's also, a, it's also a very, uh, plot-wise, a very substantial episode in the genesis of the show. Yeah. Like, that's, I definitely want to get into that. Yeah, yeah, it's Jim uh, going forward with Pam, and it changes the whole outcome of really the show in general, because you're waiting to see what happens with that relationship from the first or second episode. So for the people who need a little bit of a refresher that may not have done as deep a dives, this episode, uh, the Michael has already um, had a, a fling, but Michael calls. He, they're having a, a casino night for charity, and Michael can't pick his charity. There's a lot of bits where he keeps talking about Comic Relief, which is a, a show that doesn't even exist anymore. And they're having a, a night in the casino. And so Michael first calls Jan and tries to convince her to come and be his date, and she says no. And then he calls his realtor, Carol, which is actually his, his real-life wife, the actress. And uh, he he tries to, this he's trying to get this woman. And both women end up at the same time agreeing to come to the casino. So he's trying to pull off this casino night while also juggling these two women and the comedy ensues. Yeah, and there's a really great bit as he's taking those phone calls where Pam, as the receptionist, is forwarding the phone calls to Michael. And she has learned over the years that she doesn't send it through Give him a second pass. on the first time because the first time he answers the phone he just says something really stupid yeah carol how's the real estate business is it real good is it real uh, good not, not there still me oh, okay <laughs> second time through this bit uh there's so many good bits so this is when michael says and we're going to have the boy scouts come and we're going to deliver a, a check directly to them and toby goes well i didn't invite the boy scouts and michael goes why and he says well there's gambling and alcohol and it's in our dangerous warehouse it's a school Hooters night. is catering it's a school night is that enough or should i should i keep going and he has more he has, he has significantly more and michael that's when the, the line comes where he's like why are you the way that you are i hate so much of what you choose to be and I uh, just, oh God, I, I say it to Colin all the time. It's in, so un, under my funny breath. too. And Steve Carell is so good because we can sit here and, and quote that line to ourselves and laugh about it. But his delivery, he just takes his time with it. And he just is staring at Toby and just so upset. The deadpan. So upset. It's still one of the most used, most used gifts that we, that we send to <laughs> each other. Why are you the way that you are? I hate so much of what you choose to be. Uh, also, I just, and, and Michael brought this up a little bit. I called you Michael instead of Mike. Sorry, I'm, I'm in the Michael Scott zone. But the fact that this is, so so Jim eventually in this episode goes to Pam and it's the first time that he really speaks to her about his feelings. Because you've had Boat Night already where he's like, yeah, I, I had a crush on you, but it's over, whatever. And, he, and he's still living in that denial. And he finally he finally gets to a point and he's thinking about transferring and Jan's talking to him about it and he just has to tell her that he loves her and he says I love you and 
he comes in later and and she's on the phone with her mom and she's kind of trying to process it and he comes in and, and he gives her a really passionate kiss and then that's where the episode ends and that's the end of the fucking season so as you're watching that like you need to wait six months to figure out like what happens with jim and pam after that kiss and so that alone and and i really found and and, and tell me how you guys feel about this i really liked the the days it, it's always better the conflict or are they going to get together will they or won't they get together it's always better in the will they get together phase instead of the post will they get to better phase in, in my opinion and i think just conflict is much more interesting and you see that with michael and holly later but uh, that moment and the tension, and you're almost kind of holding your breath when he decides to stay that. And they they play that silence really well. They they play the awkwardness of that moment really well. And it's one of those real moments. And it's something that we've, we've all probably been in a situation like that before. And I think it's just handled really nice in terms of the dramatic elements of the scene as well. Yeah, certainly the, the stakes are higher in a situation where you want the two characters to get together and you've been waiting for that. And, and you touched on it, Bob. I think one of the things this, this uh, show does so well is, is use silence. And in the com- in combination with that, they use these documentary style spy shots where you can tell the hit, the camera's kind of hidden and you're looking at something that you really shouldn't be seeing. And it's something that's really intimate. And that combined with the silence and, and, and the acting and the stakes really just it's a it's a heart beating through your chest kind of moment and um they they just really nailed it on on this one yeah if you were ever wondering if you were invested in those characters or not that that's a really good moment to decide and i obviously most of america was and really just a a great scene and and really that steve carell wrote that is even more impressive i didn't even know that yeah another little office ladies a little interesting tidbit is uh, so that was the end of season two, as you mentioned, Bob, and they started season three with a little flashback to what had happened. And they had to actually refilm that because it was oh, from like shit. a different angle and there was different information there. So they had to recreate that like six months later, like you said, like after they had kind of worked up all the energy to film it in the first place, they had to come back and, and recreate that magic as well. With it being such a great Jim and Pam episode two, going back to the cold open is such a great setup with Jim and Pam two with the, the moving of the coat rack prank on mind Dwight, control we're like it's such a great one because um i think they mentioned this in the office ladies too like that wasn't planned between jim and pam right like that was just an awesome example of how pam just caught on to what jim was trying to do and just like played along also this episode has something that kind of sticks out is, is kelly's talking about how she didn't think kobe bryant did it and it's just a just a bit that he might just he might the the only thing that dates this show is some of those references to things at the time that now you look back at and uh there was one about like charlie rose or something that kind of comes up it's most of the shit that kelly says because she's so topical (laughs) it's like oh man that doesn't age well but cool also, just some final bits, some final bits on this that I, I thought were great. Uh, Kevin being a, a 2005 random World Series of Poker winner, and then he goes all in, and, and uh, Phyllis gets the flush with the clovers. Yeah. Just a really funny bit. And then Michael going all in on his first hand, because he's really good at bluffing. Can you tell? <laughs> That's such a great Toby moment. And Toby yeah. goes all in, because he's got pocket jacks. <laughs> Michael's out. Ch- first hand, he's out. Just go. <laughs> I'm going to chase that feeling. That's a great Toby line. I'm going to chase that feeling. Yeah. Also, we get Daryl teaching Michael the Dink and Flicka, uh, the ghetto slang for the first time. That's yeah. the Dink and Flicka. it out. Lease it out. Going Mach five. You know, just stuff us need to say. So good. So good. All right, let's keep the beat. Let's keep the beat going. Colin, what was your favorite? One of your favorite Mount Rushmore episodes. <sighs> wow. All right. Uh, I guess coming in hot here, and it feels, it feels a little tiny bit like a cop-out uh, but mostly it's it's i think an undeniable entry into this rushmore but it's a two-parter that aired back to back after the super bowl and so they they admittedly wrote it uh to appeal to the most amount of people because they had the biggest audience they were ever going to have so i guess when you look back that if it's like such a crowd pleaser how can it be like one of the most authentic episodes but stress relief is is so funny that I've, I've probably watched it casually 35 40 times 
and I still every time Dwight puts the Hannibal Lecter the the dead dummy face on his own face and starts making the it's so fucking funny every that is some of the funniest like the funniest four or five minutes that television may have seen it's the longest cold open that they've done the cold open is hands down my favorite one him doing the fire the stage fire is 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 priceless material so those who don't know stress relief or need a little bit of a reminder dwight doesn't feel people are taking that this fire protocol seriously enough so he he creates a fire simulation where he's he takes the blowtorch to the handles and he creates a small fire in the break room and people start to panic pretty significantly and it's it's like an eight minute cold open it feels like but they're just running around the office and at one point michael screams every man for themselves (laughs) and so people start trying to break out of the office and then kevin takes a chair and breaks the vending machine and starts grabbing chips but everyone's trying to to save themselves in the office you find out that angela keeps a cat in her drawer she tries to have oscar save it the cat goes through bandit yeah bandit bandit save bandit the cat the cat goes through the tile and the roof it's this chaos and that's and and stanley ends up collapsing due to stress and so the rest of the episode it's actually a two-part episode but the rest of the episode is michael trying to to relieve stress in the office and the second part is his solution to relieve stress in the office is to have everyone do a roast and he's thinking of a Comedy Central roast where it's it's lighthearted fun and then everyone talks about how much they love you. <laughs> and yeah. the characters lean into him. That, I think that, like, there's so many funny parts that we can get into it too, but I think what people often remember when you say stress relief is the, is the opening and probably the dummy scene, but this episode ticks all the boxes. One, best cold open you could, they, they did. It's amazing. We get all of the comedy we could ever ask for, but you forget like to your point bob the second part is the roast boom roasted another like some of the best comedy but like you get the drama of michael being legitimately heartbroken because he thinks he's doing something nice for his co-workers and they just completely eviscerate him but then on top of that you get some of the most authentic jim and pam moments in their storyline where jim inadvertently causes pam's dad to essentially divorce her mom that's such a but yeah because he's so he's so beautifully expressed what his love for Pam looks like and her dad realized that he had never felt that about Pam's mom, even at their best. And that like gave him the epiphany that like, you know, I, I can no longer be in this relationship. Right. And for a minute there, you think what the hell did Jim do? Like he totally messed this up, but and it turns out to be one of probably the most beautiful moments that those two have together. When she kind of says at the end of the episode, like when you're growing up, you just assume that your parents are soulmates our kids are going to be right. Like yeah. that's what a great line. some of the best, some of the best writing that they've done. And that's all. And I know in an extended episode, but that's all compacted into one episode. It's such a meaty yeah. episode. I think one of the things that this show does so well and what elevates it is that when the stakes are high, like when they had the opportunity to air right after the Super Bowl, uh, they always nail it. And this is a perfect example of that where they they knew they had to get viewers for the for the show to go on and for the lifeline of the show and it just it, it they managed to to work everything in and it all just falls into place so perfectly and i mean do we want to spend some time just going over some of the lines and yeah, jokes so that I've got this them episode up here. Let, gave us? let me let me just read let me read all the jokes tell me what your which one your favorite one is jim you're 611 <laughs> and you weigh 90 pounds gumby has a buddy body than you boom roasted dwight you're a kiss ass boom roasted pam you failed art school boom roasted meredith you've slept with so many guys you're starting <laughs> to look one. like one that's boom, the best roasted. one <laughs> kevin i can't decide between a fat joke and a dumb joke boom roasted creed your teeth called your breath stinks <laughs> boom roasted angela where's angela well there you are I didn't see you behind that grain of rice. Boom, roasted. Stanley, you crush your wife during sex and your heart sucks. Boom, roasted. Oscar, you're gay. Oscar, you're gay. Andy, Oscar, you're gay. Cornell called. They think you suck and you're gayer than Oscar. Boom, roasted. That's so good. You're telling someone their heart sucks is so funny. You oh, crush your wife during sex and your heart sucks. Like he doubles up on poor Stanley. It's so it's Meredith so is the best one. Meredith, you've slept with so many guys, you're starting to look like one. <laughs> he gets he gets Kevin twice in this episode. He gets him with that, and then earlier during the dummy scene, he's like, Kevin, no arms and no legs is basically well, how That's just so now. funny you're doing when they're going through the exercise, and it, they give a situation, they say, 
should we resuscitate? And like, they start debating. Well, I don't know. It's got no arms or legs. Who would want to live like that? Which is such... Check his wallet. Is he an organ donor? Creed, I already checked it. He doesn't have one. Yeah, he has no wallet. Creed <laughs> checked the dummy for his wallet. It also gives us... That's one of those drops that we were talking about. Go ahead, Jordan. A line that I use a lot where... I don't even... I think Michael has a talking head. And he's talking about how they weren't prepared for something when Stanley happened. Or when, when his heart went berserk. Yeah, And he said, and I knew exactly what to do, but in a much more real sense, I had no idea what to do, <laughs> <laughs> which is a line I use all the time. Or how about when he's setting them up for the roast and he's like, I want you to really take me down. It could be about my race or that I'm so fit or that I'm a womanizer. Like, he just so casually admits <laughs> yeah. to being a womanizer, and no one bats an eye. It's like that episode where he's he's talking about his weaknesses, that he cares too much, that he works yeah. too hard. Yeah, it's just like, God, what an idiot. Or Dwight's, Dwight's retort to uh, him being responsible for almost killing Stanley is, is one of my favorite Dwight yeah. moments. Yeah, I pumped him full of butter for 50 years yeah. and forced him not to I pumped him full of butter and sugar for 50 years. Uh, so there's also another bit where David Wallace is so pissed at the way Michael's running his office and that he's not disciplining Dwight. And he goes, that dummy that he cut up costs us $3,500. And Michael goes, $5,300 for a dummy? Really? Seriously? It's like so dumb. The guy's re- the, the legal guy next to his reaction is so he just goes, oh, God. <laughs> ah, this world is going to I mean, be so are, great. I, I hope YouTube there, comes down to filmness. Yeah. Uh, written by uh, are... written by Paul Lieberstein, written by Toby. Paul Lieberstein, so, yeah. Toby. That, I will tell you that's a recurring theme in the episodes I picked that I didn't know until afterwards that Lieberstein. Toby's written. written Toby's written three out of my four. But wow. I will say there is amongst all the funny stuff, there is one more. Like it's a quick heavy hitter, but when Stanley is coming back, it kind of shows how they talk about like serious topics a little bit. When he goes, "I would quit, but I'm too old to find another job." And I don't have enough money saved to retire. I feel like I'm working in my own casket. Like that's a 10 second talking head, but it is heavy shit. Yeah. Like that's that's really relevant to all to that too many all too many people. And it's just like a quick kind of thing that they just pass over. But it's such a great example of when they take things seriously, how effective their their dialogue can be, and also how hilarious they can be ten seconds later. This show's an interesting time capsule in that post. Or the, a lot of these episodes are happening 2008, 2009, recession. You, you see it a little bit with the Michael Scott paper company. They really start to lean into that. But it, it really is an interesting time capsule to the, the stress around the job market as well. And it does it does get into some real shit from time to time. And it, yeah, you're right. It's a 10-second little bit there. But interesting. Cool. Sorry. Anyway, that was just a, a little thought there. Anything else on stress relief, guys? Those were all, I guess, other than Michael having uh, thinking that Boss represented having big shoulder pads and a perm. That's so Boss. Uh, that was, and I look great with shoulder pads. Those are all my notes. I love when he's doing this because I've had to do CPR training with my company, so I, I always laugh when they when they do the ah, 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 staying alive, mm-hmm. but he thinks the beat is, at first I was afraid, <laughs> I was petrified. Oh, Bob, there is and one other thing. They stopped doing yeah, that, and they all start dancing to stay yeah, alive start, anyway. Andy starts acapelling, and they all just start dancing. <laughs> Colin, final and thought. With, with, with uh, the office ladies thing, they keep talking about how all the different actors have their different breaking points and how certain ones laugh during certain scenes. So in my most like recent rewatches, I've been paying attention to like, the individual actors. You can see their like personality sometimes. In this episode, Andy... Uh, laugh, like Ed Helms, he laughs or gives like an approving smile with almost every Michael Scott joke and I honestly think it's just him appreciating the beauty of Michael Scott the entire time. There's like five or six where you look at Ed in the background and he has like such an approving smile on where everyone else is like really uncomfortable and everything. I just, I just th- thought that was interesting and like for any listeners at home next time you're watching any episodes focus on like one or two actors per episode and just look at their reactions in the background they're really and if you ever watch outtakes where they actually do break and everyone laughs it makes you wonder how they ever got through a scene because people are dying and they're like on their hands and knees laughing and it's like how could you possibly keep a straight face through that (laughs) so funny let's keep the ball bouncing hammond your favorite episode on your list like i said my main criteria was rewatchability and the first episode that I thought of when you told me we were doing this was obvious. 
and that is season four, episode thirteen, dinner party, which I think, I think it's the best Office episode for sure, and it's definitely probably the funniest television episode I've ever seen in anything. It's so bold. It's so it's, bold. It's unbelievable. It's uncomfortable. This one feels like the right answer to like what is the the one Office episode, and I think to be honest, we probably all had it on our lists, and we yeah, yeah. I knew it was going to show up. It's not. I don't think it's yeah. as obvious. It's a deeper cut, but for the people who who love the twisted darkness of this show to to certain degrees, this is on a lot of lists. So, Mike, why, why do you like the episode so much? <laughs> well, like Colin said, and, and Jordan's talked about it too, the rewatchability of these episodes and connecting with the characters and paying attention to their faces in the background and all that stuff makes the episodes funnier as you watch them. And this episode, you can just tell they really went for it. And the, and the dynamic of seeing Jim or Jan and, and Michael in a domestic setting, right? They're always in the office and you, and you get like this, this breakdown of such an extreme, like if you just wrote that there on Reddit, it would be too ridiculous. Like you'd be like, this is so like, no one would ever live like this. No man would deal with this. But then Steve Carell is just such a genius and the way they pull it off. It's just, it's astounding how ridiculous it is while also being just so funny the entire time. The tour alone is worth uh, seven different rewatches. The tour his, of the house. His dog bed and the camera being set up. <laughs> the camera. One, two yeah. in the bedroom. Michael. All right, let's take it back. We're, we're getting too far ahead <laughs> of ourselves. There's a lot to unpack here. So the cold open is Michael right. fake calling corporate. Oh, it's so yes. good. So for those who need a refresher, if you need so a refresher on this, I don't know if you're in the right podcast, but Michael fakes having everyone need to come into the office on Saturday so that he can absolutely guarantee himself that Jim and Pam will not be able to have a conflict for the weekend so that they can do the dinner party. So they all agree that they're going to come in and work on, on Saturday. And Michael calls them and go, or call fake calls corporate and goes, what? No, these are my friends. I will not make you. Make this. So then he goes to Jim and, and Jim's kind of surprised because Michael gets him. He goes, you said that you didn't have plans because you were working today. So you can come over to my house for the dinner party. And and so Jim and Pam and Andy and Angela and then Dwight shows up with, with his nanny later. But they, they have this really awkward dinner party and uh, comedy. It's such ensues. a good continuation of an ongoing bit. And it's it actually ties into an episode that I, I'm gonna, I want to touch on later. So I won't say what episode it is. But like a few episodes before this, there's the joke of, of – Pam realizing that Michael's busy that night and she like kind of gives like an eyebrow raise to Jim and Jim's like oh Michael that reminds me uh Pam and I are having dinner tonight and if uh, if you're free we'd love you for you to come over and Michael's like oh are you kidding I got plans so like there's like the other side of that where they're trying to intentionally invite him for dinner every time they know he can't come because they don't actually want to have dinner for him and then the flip side <laughs> is they get completely taken for a ride on this awesome plan that he's set up this complete heist of a night that he's that he's organized through this cold open it's so genius so jan's cooking a dinner that's going to take what four hours to cook and she starts the dinner when they arrive four hours from has the braise for another now, four hours or like four hours from <laughs> three hours ago <laughs> she starts the dinner later uh, also it's a ruse to try to get them to invest in in cents for jan for ten thousand dollars, yeah, Serenity, Serenity by Serenity Jan. Serenity by Jan. Bonfire, James Bonfire. He call he calls candles the the fastest growing scented aroma market. Yeah. <laughs> thought about Andy, it, Andy. Andy, the kiss ass. Thought about it, and I'm in. I, yeah, Andy instantly that. is in. I'm in right away. No assessment yeah. at all. And then, dude, and then the details of the episode, like the townhouse, is such a cliche townhouse with like the most just awful stuff all over the place there's the only th okay i think i'm not 100 sure but the only thing that michael owns in that entire townhouse is the plasma tv the, which the plasma sure we'll tv the handmade let's do it now we're in it yeah okay with the plasma we're, we're, tv which he yeah so which, michael which buys is, the world's smallest plasma tv and he says i finally broke down and i did what i was dreaming i bought myself a plasma tv i could just stand and this here is, all and, day and watch it stand here because it's so small you have to stand to watch it and like there are there are two other things that he owns and it's the hand seats that they're sitting in <laughs> oh, during okay. when he asks them to invest which is so great because you know they put the thought in that michael probably owned these when he lived by himself 
He probably brought them to the condo with Jan, fought like hell to try and get them in the living room. Well, she uh-huh. won, so they're stashed in the garage, and that's what they're sitting on as he invests. He has them to invest ten thousand in Serenity by Jan. Oh, so, that's so what I'm good. saying though. Like while Michael's doing that plasma TV bit, Jan is just seething, standing next to him, because like, like that's the one thing Michael obviously fought for for sure. And you can tell he's like, I put it in myself. It's just like off center. It's like off right above the fireplace. <laughs> It's just on a piece of like plywood, just jammed into the wall, and you just in and like you just stand. And if I need a little extra space, yeah. <laughs> but he also built the table. Oh, yeah, he owns the Saint Paul's side table, neon light, <laughs> and he built that awesome table. And it's table. honestly like my life. It's my yeah, life. It's, it's, it's just <laughs> so funny because you just see they don't need to do exposition on how that all happened. It's just the way that Michael's talking and how Jan's behaving. It's just so funny. And there is also a kernel of truth in that. I think everyone's been to people's houses or, you know, been anywhere and seen like, oh, yeah, this is like what the guy put up. And you can tell that this was an argument. He won. And that's why this is here. Like, that stuff kills me. She makes him sleep on that little dog bed. But yet, uh, uh, Halpert, John Krasinski had actually, when he had... Corella on some good news they talked about how that was the part that they absolutely had to take a thousand takes on because they couldn't get through it and it's when Steve Carell <laughs> goes and if I need a little extra space in the living room and he just puts he, he just takes that plasma screen TV and puts it back a quarter of an inch and that gives him the extra space that he needs and that physical gag they just could not get through as a as uh, a team so but well wasn't it and we haven't even talked about that the, we haven't talked about the um the charades that they play well yeah and like we've been playing all these games during quarantine and well, i mean how many references do we make every single time to the charades game saying those lines it's i, I mean sounds I guess, like maybe... parnold portzenegger no rhyming, no rhyming. <laughs> okay Tom okay Cruise. uh he goes on a caribbean cruise <laughs> katie holmes nobody's <laughs> married to her does anyone read the paper uh, yeah does anyone <laughs> read the news uh, so good. Uh, God, that episode. Melora Harden, Jan, is so good in that episode when he puts the his sweater on Pam because she's cold, and they just have the the in focus shot of Jan in the background just absolutely seething with just like the feeling of disrespect that he's 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 showing love to Pam and it, like her range of emotions that she shows in like ten seconds is well, you can awesome. kind of tell that Michael had sort of. Uh tease to, to Jan that maybe him and Pam were hooking up at some point. I right, love that exactly. he's bragging about something. That... <laughs> yeah. I know uh, you and Michael had a thing. She's like, no, never ever a thing. <laughs> no. Uh, God, so, so funny. So This episode <sighs> also gave me quite a few quotes that I use in my day-to-day life that I've either used directly oh, or kind of take them and shift them, but when they're doing the tour and they're talking about repainting the walls and Michael says, guess what? white and eggshell white exactly the same color i use that all the time in situations with my wife where there's like an option between two things i just don't fucking care about like either one um yep. and then when pam brings over the wine as a gift and jan takes it and says oh this would be great yeah. to cook with this would be great to cook with <laughs> such a snide so good well, well yeah and like and like she and she won't let dwight come obviously because she doesn't like dwight but there's not enough wine glasses that's her excuse yeah <laughs> so he brings his own excuse for a reason why someone can't come and then one of my favorites too jordan you have the michael uh michael scott oh that's an okie afterbirth which Ooh, i say all has the a real nice okay <laughs> <laughs> him dipping his steak in the wine before he eats it is one of the grossest things i've ever seen you know i have soft you know i have soft teeth how could you how dare you uh, it's so oh, Jim's, Jim's you got you get hunters hunters um, song god it's so awkward uh, yeah, if not for Scott's release. tots, it'd be the most awkward, awkward episode. And then even at the very end, where Jim and Pam are just sitting in the car and they're doing the babe thing back and forth, it just kills me because yeah. I love that. We used to like tease each other for uh, you know calling significant others babe and and other people who would say babe all the time. So just little, even that little joke just just kills me. Angela's reaction to to Ed Helms licking his her ice cream. Just rolls down the window and just, just slams it, it on the outside of the car. No, she doesn't throw it out. She spikes it onto the side of the car and it just slides oh, yeah. down the big old waffle cone. Oh, uh, so funny. But Bob, no, Jim's Jim's line. I feel like Jan and Michael are playing a game with themselves about who can make their guests more comfortable, more uncomfortable, and they're both winning. <laughs> they're both winning. 
Uh, the, <sighs> the last thing too is I read, I think you were just saying a little bit, Bob, too. It's like they said on IMDb this was the hardest episode for them to film just due to laughter. Ugh. They like, couldn't get through it, which is why it's so funny. And that's why I'm saying like the amount of comedy they pack into this episode and how hard they go at it. I mean, only them could do it, I think. I don't know how many other shows could do that. Yeah. It's it's an all-time episode, and it, and it doesn't have any trademark to the story, any trademark moments, but just no. just pound-for-pound pound, tight barrel laughs that you get. It, I, I would be hard to find a, an episode that can can go with that one. So And it's one of the, one of the few episodes that's uh, outside of the office itself. Yeah entirely outside of the office yeah all right let's keep the ball bouncing jordan what's your second show episode yeah the next one i have on my list is actually the episode right before dinner party which feels now like we're stepping uh, taking a step back and it's a little out of place but everything's downhill after dinner it, party but we'll keep yeah going. it's still a, a great episode and that's the deposition season four episode eight um, which is another Amazing. one of these episodes that's it's mostly a pure comedy, but they mix in a little bit of that sentiment that you get to relate to Michael and you have a, an emotional connection with him uh, in regards to how serious he takes his job and how much it means to him. Um, He's a company man for sure. Through yeah. Um, so yeah uh another one with a, like a, a cold open that i really like where michael is uh um he likes these notes that pam brings him uh when he's like on a phone call or when he's in meetings to make him seem more, more important so he doesn't actually get that many phone calls so she has him bring him notes like every 10 minutes just for fun and they're just made up notes <laughs> um but he's in a, a situation a meeting with ryan she's bringing him notes and he's he's always deferring like oh tell him i'll call him back it's not important and ryan who's uh, at corporate at the time is like no i insist michael that you take your work calls and the note is just a hot dog that says hiya buddy on it so <laughs> michael has to pick up the phone and he just says he looks at he looks at the camera and just says hiya buddy and it just cuts and it's such a great little joke just love it so this episode so for those who don't know the deposition, uh, Jan is suing the company for sexual harassment because she believes the reason why she got fired was not due to negligence, but because she got breast implants. And Michael loves them, according to her. But uh, so Michael's got to testify in this space, but Jan uh, can, can possibly in this suit win a lot of money. And a lot of it hinges on Michael's testimony in, in this deposition. And so Michael's kind of torn, and, and he goes through a few uh, different roller coasters of emotions because different elements get brought up throughout the course, the the, 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 the trial, if you want to call it yeah, that, deposition. to kind of swing him to deposition, yeah, in, in different spaces. But one moment that I really like in this is when Michael's kind of been beaten down. They, his journal's been entered. They're going through all of his his personal journal entries, and and you find out that that he he thinks Ryan's really hot, and they're like, "Who's this Ryan woman?" Like, let's find out what she. <laughs> it's like she's hot, but not like Ryan, not as hot as Ryan. But anyway, uh, and he's just kind of he's really low, and he sits down by himself at the lunch table, and Toby sits down next to him, and he goes, "You know, Michael, when I was a kid, my parents were getting divorced, and they made me come into the courthouse." And he's trying to have this heart to heart moment, and Michael just. <laughs> slowly slides toby's lunch tray off the table and gets up and it's so funny and even before that so michael has this reaction when he's going into the the office room right. where they're gonna have the deposition and toby's there and he's like what no why is he here and he asks him if he's there to renew his divorce files <laughs> You're here to renew oh, your divorce, but it's so, so good. That whole table read is so like, funny. Yeah, you can just tell that Michael's just like Toby cannot resist out of all the people, right? Yeah, just, <laughs> yeah he's so he's, mad he's at even Toby. more ashamed. Yeah, yeah, he's more mad but, at Toby. Uh, but but the other part of the episode that's amazing is the stenographer reading back yeah. the yeah. the back and forth. And there's one part I don't remember when it was, but like Michael's upset that it's not funny when 
it wasn't funny when he said it and when the stenographer reads it back it's not funny he's like well yeah that's what i said but you butchered it yeah you killed it butchered it's a that's it's a that's what she said yeah it's, they yeah, asked him that's what she said. if he had been working underneath jan the whole time and he said that's what she said yeah and then they all get confused and they start doing all the lawyers yeah speak. reads it back it's like butchering it delivery's all wrong yeah <laughs> Can I they, go to the bathroom? You just went to the bathroom. No, that was to get out of answering the question. Can I go to the bathroom? <laughs> no. Uh, they also enter into Toby evidence also, the classic photo of Jan and Michael in Jamaica yeah. where she's laying down and he's sitting behind her. Tan everywhere, Jan you mean, everywhere. You mean Urkel? <laughs> the, uh, Toby, or, uh, Toby also breaks when, when the Ryan line gets read. Toby's like, what? Like Toby's like has an audible reaction to it. It just makes Michael even more pissed. Oh, it's so good. <sighs> um, and the only thing about this episode, I think that uh, takes it up that you might forget about unless you've rewatched it recently, is the the parts of the episode that don't take place as part of the deposition are really funny. It's when the rest of the office is playing ping pong. Uh, mostly. I don't even remember why they're playing ping pong, but Jim has to is is bad at ping pong. Is playing Daryl and Kelly starts talking a lot of trash, and it's just uh, you know I don't. No, she talks smack. I don't right? talk no, trash. I talk trash. smack. It's, 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 I talk yeah. smack. <laughs> and she does the hey hey you you I don't like your boyfriend cause 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 he sucks at ping pong. <laughs> just... That's a good. And then line those two, you. and then Pam and Pam and Kelly go at it. And they're the worst ping pong players ever. Yeah, they suck. And the two guys are like, well, what the fuck were we even worried about in here? Dwight smoking Jim in in ping pong at the end is incredible too. Yeah, spin serve. <laughs> <laughs> it brings it back at the end of the deposition where uh, I I don't think we actually mentioned it, but Michael ends up going against Jan mostly because into evidence there's a line of, from David Wallace where that all he says is he's asked if Michael was a serious candidate for a corporate job and he says. Uh, what do you want me to say? He's a, he's a nice guy, but no. And just the fact that he said Michael was a nice guy uh, sort of reinforced that loyalty that, that Michael has to the company and it meant a lot to him when everybody else was you know, it's sort of embarrassing him. Yeah, you expect to get screwed by your company, but you don't expect to get screwed by your girlfriend. Great. And the fact that she brings... <laughs> great line. Which is a great, great line. But in, in the sentiment, he... He, her bringing in that journal was a, a break of trust and and he did he did really appreciate david wallace's line and you also feel bad for him because he was never really being considered for the job at corporate and they have a really sad scene this this episode ends in a really somber note when they're driving home and she knows she's not going to get the settlement and they're trying to figure out what they're going to eat for dinner and he goes do you want to eat chinese and he's like no we should do a cheaper option and she's like that was the cheap yeah. option and you just know that there's no way they find happiness which ends up working out because we know what's going to happen later so for sure great great episode let's keep the ball bouncing colin second show episode yeah second one here all right so i'm going i'm going to go back to season two episode seven uh this one's directed by greg daniels also written by mr toby flanderson your best friend so two for two here with uh, with Toby. Michael would be very, very disappointed in me. Um, there's a lot to unpack in this episode, but it is The Client. Ooh. And this is the one, if you guys remember, it's where they're going for Lackawanna County as the as the client. The whole county. So Jan, Jan and, and Michael are going to woo Tim Meadows. Got Timmy Meadows. Detroit. Uh, at the Chili's to try and win this uh, this big fish. And Laugh so hard, I got Awesome Blossom coming out of my nose. <laughs> Can we get Awesome Blossom? Extra Awesome, please? Extra Awesome. <laughs> um, I want my baby back, baby back, back. Okay, sorry. Keep going. No, that's good. I, I, like I said, I think there's a lot to unpack in this episode, and I think maybe to the average viewer, you may not remember everything that's in this one, but I think the biggest thing here is that we get, the I think, the best development forward of Michael's character, where we finally see that he actually is really good at his job. He's a he's talented a sales guy. Idiot. You right. know what I mean? Like, he's an asshole, but he's actually a really talented talented sales guy and his that moment where he shushes jan after they've gone through all the drinking and all the heart to heart and he's finally ready to land it and he knows it but she doesn't even though she's his boss and she he kind of gives her that little and then they land the gig like 
it's it's actually really awesome drama and 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 really good writing too just from a professional sense as well so me and mike do sales and i actually play some of this clip for my salespeople, and that doesn't make me an expert on this or anything but michael that's why this character is so interesting to me because he's the perfect example of a guy who was really talented and developed a craft of sales just has not a lot of business being a boss and he struggles being a boss but he has an incredible IQ and and it comes out in a few different funny ways because he wants to have a code word if Jan starts to fuck up because Jan isn't a talented saleswoman and so he ends up just shouting gibberish and he says if we would have had a code word I wouldn't have had to shout nonsense words at her but he understand he has an EQ is what we call it in the biz but he uh, you know he knows that kind of pitching at this guy and, and and coming with a lot of business talk is not the way to earn this business and he allows himself to kind of to, to bond and have rapport with with Tim Meadows and, and he, he wants to do the baby back ribs and he wants to have the personal conversations. He he picks up on this guy that the, the local aspect of kind of Dunder Mifflin, that's kind of the sell here is that, you know, hey, I know we've and, and as they're getting drunk, he goes, I know that we uh, I know this school. I know I know how many schools we have. I know I know how many this we have. And, and, and he's really doing this this customer approach. And then you're right. He does the shush and he kind of comes to him and he goes at the end of that sale he goes, you know, this is what they do. They they drive their prices down until people like us are out of business, and then they hike them back up, and it's what you would have paid anyway. And he he, he comes to the to Tim Meadows with with just very realistic conversation, and he's able to swing that sale. And it's like, oh shit, that's that's really sales. And so sometimes the show, for as silly as it is, has real shit to say about the sales process, which I appreciate being in sales. Hammond, do you have any thoughts on that too? Yeah, yeah, I think what you're seeing there is the amount of sits that Michael's done, and he has the experience to know what's going on, and it's not a teachable skill, which is Michael's whole thing, right? He's not about like education yeah. or um, all these special certifications you need, any of that stuff. He's like a feelings, emotional, experience guy. And yeah, I agree, Calm. That really develops his character where you see that. And then on top of that, Jan comes to the realization like the audience does. Kind of while yeah. it's happening, she realizes like, oh wait, this oh, I get it, what he was doing. Oh, this is going to close. We're going to get this. Yeah. And I think they do a good job of, as an audience member, you don't know Michael's actually good at sales. He's kind of a dope. And then you realize it too, and it's kind of this moment that everyone has at the same time. It's really cool. Yeah, and it's important because, like, this show, and specifically that his character, could have been in danger of just being a caricature for forever, right? If you don't mm -hmm. give him that extra layer of actually proving that in a way he did deserve the job of regional manager that he did because when he was a salesperson he probably was crushing it with his numbers every every month every quarter you know yeah. and he did work his way up over 14 years to becoming the regional manager you know but they could have just left him as the bumbling idiot boss and it probably would have gotten old really quickly but adding this new layer to him that i think i think you finally see for the first time in this episode was hugely transformative for the future of the show itself i think and there's an episode later, and I can't remember the specific episode, but Michael, to earn extra money because of Jan's spending, takes on a, a cold call job. And he's sitting in the bay, and he's no longer the boss. He's actually just a, a cold call employee at, at a call center. And they think he's so cool. And he, he, has, he doesn't have the title of boss, and everyone loves him, and he's writing a screenplay, and he's and everyone thinks he's so interesting. So it is, it's always fun to, to watch the dichotomy. And it, like Michael was just a classic example of someone that was really talented that maybe shouldn't have been uh, promoted to a boss, but later proves his, his worth as a boss. But I, I think that's mm. just such a great observation. But I think even, so with this episode, uh, anyway, you still have a lot to talk about with other episodes, so I don't... I want to no, make sure that no, we also say, on top of the the Michael thing, th this office the episode is packed too. Because on top of that, we get Jim and Pam having what amounts to be their first date, and we got the unveiling of threat, MFN level. Speaking of screenplays, Pam, the OG Pam unearths the infamous <laughs> screenplay Threat Level Midnight, starring the one and only. Agent Michael Scarn, while Michael is away doing the bit with uh, the client, and the entire office reenacts the script in the conference room, and it is some of 
some of the best uh, moments that the office has, I think, as they're going through uh, this, especially with the hanging dwigged. Hanging yeah. Leaving <laughs> Samuel L. Chang. replace, leaving one yeah. dwig. Samuel Chang, uh, Catherine, Catherine Zeta Jones. That's the character's character, name? Catherine Zeta Jones. Catherine Zeta Jones. But yeah, so, I mean. Hi, Mr. Scarn. Like, it, it looks like you've lost weight. Thanks for noticing. <laughs> <laughs> but when they, when they break, when Dwight gets the dwig thing and freaks out and, and he calls a halt to it and he says uh, his uncle bought him fireworks which one by the way isn't that a little weird if your uncle's still buying you fireworks and you're probably what you're 30 years mid-30s. old yeah. so strange but he's gonna go have a fireworks show out in the parking lot so jim makes grilled cheeses for him and pam and they have their like first real date which is like also a big moment pushing their relationship forward his world famous um, grilled so cheese his world famous grilled cheese so this episode uh i think it's got it all it's got it all it's not the um it's not the best cold open i'm pretty sure this is the one with michael's jeans yeah, he gets his, uh, tree, he gets his jeans dry just, cleaned. He gets his jeans dry cleaned. Yeah, I think that's dry the only... It's not one of the best cold opens. It's funny, but I think that's maybe the only thing this, this episode's lacking. Otherwise, it's got it's got everything we love in the office all boiled into 20, 22 minutes. Threat level midnight is so funny. The first time I saw that, I was dying. And they don't, re- well, the they don't really touch it again until five, five seasons later when they do the threat level midnight dedicated episode which is just such a great callback because that seemed like one of those little things that was slipped into an episode um but they were back pocketing that for all those years roy roy coming into the conference room to pick up pam to to go home and she's like i have to work late tonight and his look he's like are you fucking kidding me (laughs) yeah they're all so they're so in it oh it's so funny michael's screenplay (laughs) Um, but there's also, okay, sorry. So I kind of have a lot of notes on this one because I actually, I kind of forgot how amazing this episode is, but do you guys remember at the very end, because again, this is one Jim and Pam where Pam kind of shuts Jim down cause he calls it their first date and you know, she doesn't have a first date cause he blows mm-hmm. it by saying, at least I didn't leave you at a high school so- hockey game because apparently Roy did on their yeah, first, date, their first, his first date. date with Pam. <laughs> but, uh, so Jim's a little downtrodden. Michael's a little downtrodden because Jan has called him back after their big kiss after the uh, they land the deal, telling him that it was a mistake, right? So they're both kind of down on the dumps. And the episode ends with Jim at his desk, Michael at his desk, and he kind of just looks back at Michael, and they both just give this really quick, like, you know, shrug. kind of shrug. But, like, they, they both have such sadness in their eyes, and Jim kind of gives, like, the what are you going to do look, you know? And it's such an awesome, authentic moment between the two of them that I think is one of the seeds that's sown all the way through until when Michael leaves and and Jim tells him how good of a boss he is, you know? And we have those moments where Michael's telling Jim to never give up. And, like, there's a lot of these moments, but this is one of those really good, really good early moments between the two of them. Yeah, and there are moments, and and Jim looks at Michael... And it's such a it's a relationship that Michael just fights so hard to earn, which is why the payoff of, of Jim reciprocating that um, on Goodbye Michael is so nice. But this is one of the first ones that I remember. And there's another one later where where Jim really respects Michael and, and, and he knows when they think the company is closing and Michael's trying to play the, the, the Southern murder mystery game. I and do Jim, declare. Yeah. And Jim's and, and at the end Jim's like, Man, you were right and, and he, he does the talking head and he says you know, when, when, when two parents are in the lifeboat and the one parent's rowing and the other person's playing the game, it's it's for the kids, you know. But it's just like there's there's little moments where Jim acknowledges or recognizes Michael's experience in a different way, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Cool. Let's keep the ball bouncing. Mike Hammond. I think this is a good segue. Episode. Yeah, I think this is a good segue because I'm not sure if anyone else would have this episode. Uh, and I might have a soft spot for this string of episodes, but that's uh, season five, episode twenty-five, which is broke, and that's Love the broke. last last oh, episode yeah. of the Michael Scott Paper Company culmination, which I think is some of the best plot writing in the show. Uh, I'll first come of all, up with another company. I got a hundred names. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing Michael, with this. That's one. That's one. <laughs> yeah, that's one. Uh, <laughs> and that's the thing with this though is Michael. Uh, is like for as goofy and as irreverent and as kind of dumb as he is, he cares about people and he cares about uh, what happens to the people that work for him and with him. And the way that this whole thing progresses and how he kind of pulls along Pam, which is a huge storyline in the show. Pam moves from being this receptionist to like being in sales and gets that experience through Michael. Um, and Michael puts her on with that job, which, which I'm sure we'll get to. But I also think 
this episode's really cool to me because this string of episodes also because Jim isn't like the cool guy. Charles doesn't like Jim. And I like that, that he's finally like fish out of water, not the like suave guy everyone likes. Like Charles doesn't like Jim. And so you have like some of these side plot lines that are a little different. Um, the first day Charles works, I, Jim shows up wearing a tuxedo, trying to do one of his jokes, yeah. and it just falls totally flat. He's like, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah I know. And then he's, yeah, and he then just, he's immune to his charms. Him. The only thing he cares well, about is hardworking people, and, and Jim has no passion for the role. Right. And then he ends up taking Dwight as, as his like number two, and he, and he doesn't know anything about Dwight or enough to know any better. There's just so much good writing at the end that kind of comes to a head. I know I'm, I'm going through the episode quickly, but... Yeah, let's let's real quick let's recap it. So broke uh, to to your point, Michael the Michael Scott Paper Company is running on fumes, and they get the notice. They go and and they're trying to hire a delivery man because in the cold open they have to wake up at five a.m. to do all the deliveries themselves, and that's where you get the great bit where Pam goes, Michael, did you bring any coffee? And he says, milk and sugar. And he hands back a mug and she goes, is this just milk and sugar? sugar. And he says, I drink it every morning. (laughs) But so so they're trying to hire a delivery guy and they go to an accountant to see if they can afford it. And I think and this is Mike and we all like when they they say some real business shit now that we're getting older and, and this stuff starts to relate to us a little more. But the the accountant talks about fixed cost versus variable variable cost. And he says, your low prices are keeping you out of business. And Michael says, our low prices are keeping us in business and he goes no because as you try to grow and and hire a delivery man or get health benefits you're going to need to offset that cost with with income and and the the more you the 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 more you sell like you're you're not going to be able to accomplish these things so it's actually putting you out of business and they come to the realization that they need to strike a deal with with thunder mifflin and what i really like about this episode is when michael again we we like to see sometimes when michael's able to turn it on and and to show his business acumen and i think david wallace you know says something and michael says i'll see your situation and raise you situation you need to go as the ceo of this company to your shareholder meeting next month and talk about why your most profitable branch dunder our scranton is bleeding and I don't have to outweigh Dunder Mifflin. I just have to outweigh you, David Wallace. And it fucking levels him. And all of a sudden, negotiation swings from a $12,000 deal to sixty to then them getting their jobs back. So there's some real business shit that's going on in there that when we were college kids and, and I was studying theater didn't necessarily uh, r- relate to me. But on rewatches, I'm like, oh, shit, that's real. You know? Right. And, and, and about what I was saying earlier... He demands that Pam gets a better job. He demands that Ryan is. She's in sales now. Mm-hmm. I don't well, care if he murders his whole family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ryan Loft says a hundred thousand dollars. I don't care if he murdered his whole family. <laughs> and it all ties back to that EQ ability that he has, Bob, that you were talking about, and that's why he tells in the, David Wallace in that in negotiation, our company is worth nothing. But that's the difference between you and I, David. Business isn't about money to me, because even though yeah. he's good at what he's doing. He's getting the results based on that underlying understanding that he has that it's about an emotional connection. Let's also yeah. not forget Jim's pivotal role playing middleman here. Playing he saves both them. sides and really setting the table for that interaction mm-hmm. to even happen. Which so, is also great writing to your point too, Hammond. The way they handle Jim and allow everybody. him to recognize the, the, the dire situation that Michael and Pam are in and stick his neck out for them the way that he does. Jim excellent, saves excellent him because Dwight gets a call from one of his customers that switched over to Dunder Mifflin Paper or to Michael Scott Paper Company, and he finds out that they're asking for a price concession or, or uh, to to re-rate their pricing because they're broke. And so Dwight's about to go spoil the whole thing and spoil the whole negotiation, and Jim flips it. And Jim goes, "Yeah, uh, what other cases have <laughs> yeah. you cracked, Dwight? You've never cracked a case." And Dwight goes, "Okay, the uh, the the missing beats." Uh, the, the missing beat bandit uh, and uh, solved Moe's in socks. socks and <laughs> that was our trivia name one week by the way it was Moe's in socks, Mo's in socks. I love his, his wording too and he goes you don't crack a case Jim that's such a pejorative connotation that's like calling a police officer a cop. <laughs> you solve a case solve a case <laughs> But yeah, he, he lets Dwight kind of, uh, uh, but like he, he does that and, and, and Jim is okay being the boob to, to Charles and, and he's rewarded in that effort in Michael running Charles out of the office. So yeah. 
it, it it's just really clever writing. It's it's actually good business writing now that I'm a little older. Mm-hmm. So I actually really like too to that uh, the the fact Jordan. that. Uh, they're given this added importance to, to Pam as a salesperson, but it also kind of transitioned Pam from somebody who's like a romantic character with a little bit of like reserved comedy. And I feel like after this episode, her comedy really steps up and she's much more outgoing and it takes her character in a little bit different angle that I, I thought was uh, um, kind of cool to see because Jenna Fisher as, as Pam can be really funny. Well, she has the best character arc. Yeah, there's that scene where they're talking and she talks about how she applied to other places like target and all that. And like, no one called her back. And I think she gets a moment of like, Oh no, like I can't be this like timid person anymore. Like I, this is a different phase of my life now. Like I'm been working as a secretary for X amount of years. Like that's some of the more dramatic backdrop for her in the show too. Yeah. This is, this is that 2009 post recession. There was, she's like, I'm not even getting callbacks for places like target. And we need, like, mm-hmm. jobs are so critical right now. That's going to, we don't want to go into the job market in this current place. So it's a nice little snapshot, kind of some of what I'm alluding to before. Michael and, has that too. Yeah. When, right when he's about to quit. Yeah, and that guy comes in to interview for his job. And he's like, yeah, I had to drive like an hour and a half to get here. The job market out there is brutal. Like, Michael was under the impression that he was going to be headhunted. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. When you're at my level, I was you don't apply to jobs. Yeah. You're headhunted. You have no idea how high I can fly. Well, it also gives us one of my favorite Michael Scott lines, which is, well, well, how the turntables. Oh, yeah. yeah. That might be one of the ones I use the most. I say it all the time, constantly. And you can immediately tell an Office fan versus a non-Office fan. If you get a puzzled look or someone thinks that you're saying it wrong, they have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. Well, and there's also the elevator scene before that is so funny. You're like Michael, do not, do not say we're broke. That's our bro. And then, and then it films, it. and the next transitions them opening up, and he's like, Kielder was like, oh, I'm really worried. I'm gonna say it. <laughs> really, <laughs> it's like such a good Michael moment. And we are going to end our conversation in this episode on that moment, and encourage you guys to come back and listen to the second part of this conversation in the next episode. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to like and subscribe. See you soon.